Well, we're almost through the Gospel of John. I'm going to miss John. I've loved John. Uh, we've just got a few more. And, and as you know, the story just keeps going on and getting better. Um, next year, we're going to preach through the book of Acts so that all of us can see together how God builds the church. But before we get there, you have to know these steps. You have to know that the Lord wasn't done with the crucifixion. He brought the resurrection. And the Lord wasn't done with the resurrection. He brought the transfer of spiritual authority. And he's not done with the transfer of spiritual authority. He comes down and builds the church. Before we get to that, though, I want you to see what transfer of spiritual authority really means according to Scripture. If you have your scriptures with you, you can turn to John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 19. If not, there's a scripture text printed on the back of your bulletin, and you can follow along with us. This is the appearance of Jesus in a room where some frightened disciples are gathered. It says, therefore, when therefore it was evening on that day, on resurrection day, this is that very night, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were, and by the way, the, the, the meaning of the word here is locked. It was a secure place. It says, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, and it says, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus therefore said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, this is just a few things I want you to understand about this particular scripture. First of all, um, the remarkable thing is he comes into a locked room. I mean, this is, the miracle of this is, is really unbelievable, but I don't want you to think that his resurrection body is simply a spiritual body. This, this same scripture will tell us in great detail, this is a physical body. How did he get into a locked room? I don't know. It was it's very apparently a miracle. But the reason that John points out that he has nail marks in his hands and his feet, the reason that, that, that uh, Thomas can reach in and touch those holes is that it is a physical body. Part of the reason that John included this is because there is an ancient heresy called docetism. It comes from the Greek word, dakeo, which means to seem. There were a number of people back then and even now who say that Jesus didn't really, he wasn't really a physical being. He was an apparition who appeared physical. Therefore, he really didn't die on the cross for us. It just looked like he was dying. He was just feigning dying so that we could get the idea and follow him. And that is certainly not true. He was a physical being. The word became flesh. And John emphasizes that. But when he came in the room, this is kind of semi-comical to me. He just comes in and gives one of the most common greetings. I mean, this, is, this greeting is still heard in the Middle East. If you travel in the Middle East, people will everyone say, peace be with you. Shalom. And, and that's, that's just a common greeting. It would be like me, you thinking I was dead, you going home at night, locking up your house, and I come in, and all of a sudden I'm standing in the living room going, hi. That's, that's, the, that's the kind of greeting. Now, why, wouldn't you think that he come in, I mean, there'd be some, you know, he'd come in with like the band of angels or the heavenly host or something. 
But no, and let me tell you why that is, why I think that is. These people were already on edge. <laughs> they, were, they were hypersensitive. I mean, they were, I mean, they were in their huddle. They were scared to death. Can you imagine something spectacular happening? It they would have gone. Uh, for those people who are already hypersensitive, sometimes there's more power in understatement. And that's what Jesus was doing. Let me give you an example. I got this brother-in-law. Some of you know him, Mark, who's also a preacher. And this guy is a wild man. I mean, he's got the gift of evangelism and a gift of encouragement, and he uses them both. If you're on an elevator with him, before you get to the third floor, he knows whether or not you're saved. He knows whether or not you know Jesus. But the other thing he does is he encourages, he can spot somebody who needs encouragement. And boy, he just goes to town. Well, he was down one time, and Becky and, and uh, he were going to go to the beach. I had to work, and, and so they were just going to get a couple of deli sandwiches and go over and just spend some time at the beach. And they walked into this uh, uh, supermarket. I don't know which one it was, but had the little deli counter. And there's this little, like 60-year-old little deli person back there. Had a little deli hat on. And Mark just looked at her and she just looked, you know, kind of, you know, kind of down, you know. So Mark just went up to the counter and says, you, I bet, are the best deli sandwich maker, submarine in all the world. And the woman just perked up. Like this, I never had a cup. Well, I can. Whoop. And so they started describing what they want. And so, you know, she's putting everything on. She, oh, she's excited about this. Comes to the mustard. Do you want mustard? Oh, we love mustard. Boy, she got, she that's a spatula about this one. She dips that thing down in there, comes up with about a half a pound of mustard, just spreads that on. Well, Mark just looked at that thing, whoa, but he couldn't stop himself. This is the kind of person that says, you are the queen of mustard putter honors. <laughs> well, she lit up like a Christmas tree, dipped that sucker down there again. <laughs> Came up, started spreading it again. Mark's going, he couldn't stop himself. You are the high potentate of mustard putter of all the, did it again. Becky said, by the time they got that thing wrapped up, all you could see was mustard on the inside. Of the she said, we had mustard in the car, mustard on our clothes. We had mustard everywhere. Well, why? Because the little thing was already pretty sensitive and just drove her over the edge. Can, can you imagine if Jesus had come into a spectacular way into that room? <laughs> they would have been on the ceiling. He, no, he comes in and says, hello, because he didn't want to freak them out. And, and then, and then what he does is he's, he, he, he wanders into the gathering because there's a certain pattern in scripture that I want you to see. You'll see it again and again in the book of Acts when we study the book of Acts. God doesn't always start out with something spectacular and already set to go. As a matter of fact, most of the time, God starts out with the very incapable unsure, non-confident, and he gathers them together. Uh-huh. There it is again. There's always one. I can't answer the beeper though. I can't do that. But, it, but all uh, non-confident people, and he comes in their midst, now watch, and in his overwhelming sufficiency, in the midst of their insufficiency, somehow there is a synergy to give them what they need. You'll see this again and again and again. And it's exactly how we're all called in to the body. It makes for great success. 
He's done that over and over again. Now, the thing that tickles me is these days, people think that's a new business principle. You read, I love to read all kinds of, of literature, as you know, and I always, I always read the Harvard Business Review. And, and, and in the, the latest edition of the Harvard Business Review, there is an article that says, Networked Incubators, the Hotbed of the New Economy. And you read that article, and what it describes is exactly this, that for startup businesses, the thing is not to go out and start. The thing is to gather in to a group where there is one, at least one person one company with enough resources to kind of safeguard those entrepreneurial um, um, dreams. And then after you've, you've spent that incubation period together, then you spin off and your chances of success are greatly increased. Well, it works because it's a biblical principle. God thought of it first. And so they're in this little incubator thing. Some, some of you uh, send your kids to Christian schools because, because it's a, kind of an incubation time. You know, you're, you're not afraid of them facing the world someday, but you want them to have a little cloistered thing here and, and get roots deep enough so that when they face the world, the chances of success are enhanced. That's, that's just the same kind of principle. So God takes people who are very uh, insecure, pulls them together, and then this is what he does. Look at the next verses with me. It says, and when he had sent this, or when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, what's called for is not just the process but the act of transfer of spiritual authority. But you've got to be very, very careful when you read this. Jesus is going along a plan that has always been. We have already examined that sanctification in the Christian faith does not mean being in one, put in, in, in one place and being made better. It means going along and having his spirit come through us because we have been sent. Sanctification means being sent. And in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, in verse 18... Jesus was praying this to the Father. As thou hast sent me, so also I send them. Now in this chapter, he turns around and says to them, as the Father has sent me, so also I send you. Okay, so now what's the plan? The plan isn't that they go out on their own. The plan is that they are inhabited by the very life of God. When it says he breathed on them, the word here in Greek is the same word that's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the original Hebrew scriptures that is used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. When God bent over the man and breathed his breath into the man. Now, I've told you before, the Hebrew word here is ruach. It means breath or wind or spirit. In other words, there was new life there because God breathed spirit into the man. Now here, Jesus is breathing spirit into the disciples. And there is a whole new life here. A new stage of life. What does that mean for us? Well, in the first place, it means a lot because this was a general um, um, gift 
to those who were to be Christians who represented, not represented, who, who were sent of God, all right? Who were sent of God. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 33, that there were other people in this room. It wasn't just the 10 apostles uh, with minus uh, Thomas. There were others in this room. And all of them received this. Now what this means is, when we are sent, we're not sent out to represent an absent master. We are sent out to be venues of a God who will come through us to them. Ministry isn't about us doing good stuff for God. Ministry is about God using us to speak directly to people. And so therefore, we're not sent out with our own capabilities. All of you say, man, I, I can't be a minister. I can't minister to people. I don't have what it takes. You're exactly right in your flesh. But anytime the spirit of God is in you, you have exactly what it takes. Because it isn't about you, it's about him. It's not about your inadequacy. It's about his adequacy. It's about his sufficiency. So you don't have to be afraid. If you're just obedient, God is going to come through you because he has already planted his life in you. We are not sent as representatives. We are bearers of God. And that's the difference here. Now, when it comes to not only that kind of an intimacy, but, but what does it mean to receive spiritual authority to make these kinds of proclamations? Well, we don't make them then on our own, do we? Because if it's all about God, it is not something we proclaim on behalf of God. It's something we proclaim that we see God doing. There's a way different thing. Look closely at the language there. If you forgive the sins of any, they, watch this, have been forgiven. In the original language, it means it's already been accomplished by God. All we're doing is naming it. That's our spiritual authority. Our spiritual authority is to name what we see God doing. And that will always match scripture. It will always match a general ascent of what's around us. This certainly has to do with the church having certain authority on, on who gets baptized. But it's very easy about who gets baptized. If you repent of your sin and you are brought into the, and you, and you want to live your life for Christ, then you're baptized as a believer, believer's baptism. It, it's very easy about, about uh, church discipline. If you repent and you are in love and charity with your neighbors, then, you're, then it's fine. If you don't repent and you stay in your biblically named sin, then it's not fine. But it's got nothing to do with our judgment. It's what God has already written down. Let me, let me give you a, 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 an example of this. I went to college to become a teacher. And in my uh, senior year, uh, of course, I did my student teaching. I did my student teaching in Cleveland, Ohio, at an inner city school, Shaw, Shaw High School. And this is back in the day when everybody's rioting. I mean, uh, the Watts thing was going on, and the Huff area in Cleveland was, was uh, uh, in turmoil. And uh, so I walked into this. <laughs> I was such an idiot. I just was just a little, little white liberal, you know. Just all, I was just so idealistic, I was going to change the world. Well, these people just, I'll just love them and everything come out all right. So I walk in this, in this classroom and I did love them. But man, I want to tell you, these kids were not about authority. As a matter of fact, they were all about not obeying authority. 
And, and so here, this, this, just rough as a cob, I'm this little young guy, doesn't know from up, and, and, and I knew I was in trouble. I knew as, as soon as I saw the class, I knew I was in trouble. About half of them were three times my size. I knew, I, but here, here was the deal. There was a teacher in this room, and she was in command. I mean, this was one tough monkey of a teacher. And she loved these kids. And she would do anything to have anybody learn anything in her class. And they never, ever got the best of her. Now, I'm supposed to follow that. This young kid, what, 21, 22 years old, doesn't do I'm supposed to follow that. Here's how she set me up for success. Before I ever stood up in that class, she set me down and she said, okay, here is the part of the text I want you to teach. And then she said, here is what I have already been teaching them. I want you to build on what I have already been doing. Don't come in and try and teach your own stuff. You build on what I've been doing. And here's what I want you to know that I would say if I were teaching this particular text. Well, the next day I get up in that class and I had some confidence. Now, I, my eye was twitching a little bit. I, you know, I was a little scared. But I knew going in what the text said, the part of the text I was supposed to teach, what, what she had already put into their lives and what she would say. And to top it off, she came into the back of the classroom, at least for the first few days, and stood behind those students. None of them could see her. All of them were watching to see how fast I would fall apart. And, and she stood back there, and what, the whole time I was talking, I was kind of looking at them, but saw her out of the peripheral vision that I had, and she was going like this the whole time. Now, that is authority, like is in the Bible. It's not my authority. It wasn't my words. It, weren't, it wasn't my ideas. It comes out of the text. The authority gives you the text. The authority lets you know what, he, what he's been building, what she's been building. The authority tells you what they would say, because in, in your prayer time, you, you get a sense of what, and then you say that. That is spiritual authority. And so in order to have spiritual authority, it's a matter of not only receiving the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a matter of paying attention to the text and to the teacher. And that's how you become a bearer of what God has already done and is doing right now. Okay, now come along with me some more, because there's a slow one in the group. I don't know how many of you can... can, can identify with Thomas. But man, I can identify with Thomas. I was never the first to believe. Uh, I was never the first to acquiesce to anything with any authority. I was never the first to, if everybody, if everybody else was saying something, I was saying something else. And, and, and I can look back over my life, I don't know how many of you can do this, and wish that I had come to Christ before I came to Christ. I, I, and I know it's God's timing. I know it doesn't really have to do with me, but I could have saved myself and so many other people so much heartache if I had just listened sooner. But I didn't. I was slow. And the good thing is, God came back for me. And the good thing with Thomas is, God came back for him. Look at what it says. Verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I shall see 
in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, some people have a very bad opinion of Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. I'm not sure he was Doubting Thomas. I'm sure he was Pessimistic Thomas. Thomas, And there's a difference between being doubting and being pessimistic. Thomas couldn't imagine anything coming out right. But but let me tell you the picture I have of Thomas. I have this picture of somebody who doesn't just want to acquiesce to somebody else's faith. They want a faith of their own. and 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 the people, you will learn this, by the way, the people who yell the loudest are searching the hardest. Tell you why. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. The people that are hardest in the world are those that just don't care. But those who care enough to protest are those that are interested enough to be made wonderful disciples. And I love it when people struggle. I love it when people say, not me. You've got to convince me. Because once you do that, once the Spirit does that, man, have you got somebody on fire. And so here's Thomas. See? Tennyson, remember what Tennyson said? There is, there is more faith in an honest doubt than in half the creeds. So here is, here is, here is faith ready to go, just looking for a place. We've got, we've got a, 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 one of our church kids is at Harvard right now, and this is first year. Is this Robert's first year, uh, Vernon? Is this, okay. Is, and, and so, so he's, you know, he's, he's typing, typing back and saying, man, I'm running into all this, and, and I've visited this atheistic website, and I've visited this agnostic website, and there's all these questions, all these seeming contradictions in Scripture, you know, and he's got a list, page and a half list of them, you know. Help me out here, you know. And I'm thinking, good for you. This is fantastic. Not only because we got the answers, because we do, but because there is a sense in which if he goes through this process, as all of you go through this process periodically, because all of us doubt periodically, and as you go through the process to pursue those answers, then you will have something that is really yours and that is much stronger than when you started out. So here's Thomas saying, I don't think so. You know? And, and, the, the rest of the disciples are at a loss. But you know what? If you have doubts and you put yourself among the faithful, among those who have seen Jesus, you'll see it every time Jesus shows up for you. He doesn't leave you behind. And this is what it says in verse 26. After eight days, again, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the doors having been shut, the word means locked again, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. See, he did it again. <laughs> and then he said to Thomas, <laughs> you could imagine Thomas. I'm trying to picture Thomas, I love this. Um, reach your finger here and see my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving but believing. You know, in the, in the original language, this means stop going toward unbelief. Stop disbelieving again and again and again and again. 
and start to become believing again and again and again and again. Go toward belief. Every once in a while, you've got to have somebody say to you, will you stop that? Try being, try believing. Try believing what it says for a change. Go toward that, why don't you? And that's exactly what Jesus does. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. You've got to understand here that the spirit is working. Thomas wasn't in that room when Jesus breathed the breath of the, the spirit. And that, so that means that it, it's not about molecules coming from a, from a person's nostril into, uh, in, onto physical beings. Because you see, the only way Thomas can proclaim my Lord and my God is through the work of a spirit. The, the Holy, nobody without the Holy Spirit can pro, proclaim Jesus as God. You can't ever reach that on a flesh conclusion. You can't ever reason your way there. Anybody that proclaims that Jesus is God does it by the work of the Spirit. And so Thomas wasn't in that room, but yet he had the Spirit working in his life. You weren't in that room, but you got the Spirit working in your life, whether you are yet a believer or not. The reason you're here is because the Spirit's working in your life. You don't think for a minute this morning you got up and your flesh wanted to come to church, do you? Now, your flesh doesn't want to come to church. Your flesh doesn't want to hear this. Because we say stuff like, you know what? You got to sacrifice. You got to love others. You got, you, you've, got to, you've got to change your life. What in the flesh ever wants to hear a message like that? No, the reason you're here is because the Spirit's working in your life. And whether or not you are yet a believer, the Spirit is working in your life. But if you are a believer, then you have, you have proclaimed by his power and his leadership that Jesus is Lord and God. Now what happens? What happens is, now look, it says, the rest of this says, and many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. It kind of says, yeah, there were lots of signs. But the important thing is belief. You know, there's this stage that everybody goes through where, give me signs, give me proof, give me evidence, give me facts. And that's okay. Like I said, that's a wonderful thing. Because there's at least as much evidence to believe as there is not to believe. No, there's much more <laughs> to believe. As a matter of fact, you have to be a pers person of great faith not to believe, uh, of great unfaith. But that's okay. That's, that's all all right. And there was a time when Thomas needed that. He needed to see his everyday world, in his everyday world, the divine reality. And blessed are you when you can see in your everyday world the divine reality. When you can say, you know what, this is an accident. This is a work of God here. This is, this, is, this, is, this is something that God is doing. Blessed are you when you can say that. But there's another stage of maturity. And legend has it that Thomas reached it. And it's the, it's the stage that questions and answers aren't that, all that important anymore. You know, when you're first dating somebody and you want to know if they're a real candidate for a permanent partner, you got all kinds of questions. What do you think about this? Well, what would you do here? Well, what if, you, you know, what if I was paralyzed? Would you stay with me? Now, all these kinds, you know, all, you know what, if, what if my lips wouldn't move, you know? But 
You know, have you ever noticed people have been married for 50 years? They're not asking each other a lot of questions anymore. <laughs> you know why? Because they know exactly what each other would say. They know each other. They're intuitively. They are the, they're, one, they're, they're the person. They are singular and plural at once. And the questions aren't nearly so important anymore as the nearness. There comes a time in spiritual life like that when you just kind of get, yeah, he did a lot of other stuff. But the nearness is the important part. The life, the story of Thomas, the ongoing life of Thomas is, is very brief and I'll, I, I won't take long to tell it. But it's that uh, Thomas went to India. He was the apostle that went to India. And if you've ever been in India as I have, they claim him. They say, you know, Apostle Thomas founded our church. Um, but but the, story, the, the story that goes along with that, it's in, the, it's in the Acts of Thomas, which is a part of the Apocrypha. The story that goes along with that is this, that he was a carpenter. And he went over there and a king commissioned him to build a palace. And he gave him all of this money. And Thomas took all the money that was supposed to uh, uh, buy the materials and, and employ the workers. And he just took all the money and he just gave it away to the poor. <laughs> and he went back and the king said, are you building my palace? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so he gave him more money. So he went out with the money. He gave it away to the poor. Finally, he came back one day, and the king was a little suspicious. And he said, I, I want to go see this palace. And Thomas looked at him, and he said this. You'll not be able to see this palace in this world. But when you get to the next world, you'll see the palace that you've built. The king eventually became a believer. And I believe if that legend is true, he's seeing his palace now. But isn't it wonderful to note that somebody so dependent on something physical for his faith would not be dependent later on on building anything physical, rather giving away into relationships the grace of God. But even as I say that, I want you to know this. The real hero of this story is not Thomas. The real hero is Jesus because he didn't leave him behind. Leith Anderson tells a story about, about a, a very unique bicycle race. This also supposedly took place in, in India. It was, the, it was the race to see who could ride the slowest. <laughs> At the start of the gun, these people were, 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 were supposed to Keep upright on their bicycles. If your bicycle tilted and your foot touched the ground, you were out. But the contest was to see who could ride the slowest. Well, the, the, you know, the day came, everybody lined up on the line. And, of course, as the gun went off, some of them didn't get it. There's always part of the crowd doesn't get it in there. So they just took off. Because a race is a race, isn't it? Yeah. Take off. Leave them in the dust. Whoever comes in first. But the winners were the ones who rode the slowest. And when that gun went off again, they weren't in the front of the pack with everybody behind. They were in the back of the pack with everybody ahead. Somehow that speaks to me about the character of Christ and about the character of what it is to be a Christian. In the world, it's all about getting ahead. It's all about leaving everybody behind, but not in the faith. It's all about staying with the slowest making sure no one's left out. Jesus made sure Thomas wasn't left out, and he'll make sure none of us are either. 
Pray with me. Lord, as, as we question, as we want to come near you, we know that's the very sign that you're working in our hearts. And we thank you for that sign. And Lord, we pray along Philippians 1.6 that you would finish the very work that you have begun in us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would not only help us believe, but that you would impart your Holy Spirit to us in such a way that we may bear your grace and your goodness in the world as we walk along the way. Lord, thank you that we could be as slow and as dumb as we are, and you still would come back for us. We love that about you. Make that same characteristic inhabit our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.